Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, uh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Um, It's Communion Sunday, and uh, so I think sometimes confession is good before communion. Um, And I have to confess to you that I I really owe this church the rest of the book of Romans. Um, Today, I prepared a sermon on Romans 13. Um, I think it's a good sermon. Looking forward to deliver it, but it's not going to be today. Uh, The the Lord has something else in mind for us today. So uh, this this is going to fall under the the, uh, category of, of a fresh word, a very fresh word. It is uh, from really from our prayer time, from some time with the session. The Lord just led me straight into the book of Habakkuk. And even, even as I was doing Romans 13, all I could think about was Habakkuk. So finally, toward the end of the week, I went, okay, Lord, I got it. You want to do something else? So I'm going to preach a sermon to you from the book of Habakkuk. And let me just say a couple of things about Habakkuk, first of all. Um, Habakkuk typically does not get a whole lot of air time. Um, in the church. And so, I, I, first of all, I'll tell you where it is. Habakkuk is in the minor prophets section of the Bible in the Old Testament. It is right near the back of the Old Testament. It is uh, five books from the end. Habakkuk also is a very easy book to miss because it's extremely short. Uh, it, it's only three chapters long. And yet, here's the, the, the really neat thing about Habakkuk. Despite being so little, it contains some of the richest prayers in, in all of Scripture. Um, in fact, you could make the argument today that Habakkuk really is just one long prayer. Um, it's simply one long prayerful conversation between the prophet Habakkuk and God. So uh, here's how it starts out. Um, in chapter 1, we meet the prophet Habakkuk, and he is in full voice and he is, is doing something that we're pretty familiar with in the Old Testament. He is crying out to God. And yes, crying out is the euphemism for complaining. The book opens with Habakkuk, and he is in full complaint mode. He is letting God have it. And, and what he's complaining about is that everywhere he looks in the nation of Judah, all he sees is wickedness. He sees injustice. He sees destruction, violence. And strife, and, and it's not just that this is all around the people of God. Habakkuk is distraught because it's happening among the people of God. All of these negative things, they're happening in the middle of, of, of the children of God between one another. And, and Habakkuk opens up and he is just distraught about it. And he's also distraught because God has done nothing about it so far. So we get the sense. This prayer that Habakkuk's been praying, he's been praying this thing for quite a while, and absolutely nothing has changed. God has done nothing to convict the people. He's done nothing to correct the people. He's done nothing to save the people from their sins. And and, and at this point in chapter 1, Habakkuk has come to the conclusion that God's not even listening to him. That, That God doesn't really even care. You know, like the 12 disciples in last week's sermon, Habakkuk's feeling like God is asleep on the job. Uh, We also said that sometimes we feel like that in in, in the midst of hard times in our lives. So Habakkuk, he's frustrated. He stays in this place for a while. And then finally, one day, God answers back. 
And to, to Habakkuk's great comfort, God says, hey, Habakkuk, I've got a plan and I'm working a plan. And then God tells Habakkuk what the plan is. The plan, says God, is that he is raising up the Babylonians to deal with his children. Habakkuk hears this, and he can scarcely believe it. This is absolutely no comfort to the prophet. Why? Because the Babylonians are terrible. They're awful. I mean, if you know anything about biblical history, maybe you're not even a student of the Bible, you've, been, you've read enough history to know that the Babylonians are a bloodthirsty people. They're cruel. They're violent. They're invaders. They're idolatrous. And what they've been doing right up to this passage is Babylon's been running around the Middle East and they've just been invading one nation after the other for so long. And so Habakkuk hears this plan of God and he's like, God, you've got to be kidding me. You know, th th this is no solution for you to raise up an even more evil empire to come and just swallow up your people. Movie fans, you know what Habakkuk is having? He he's having a princess bride moment for him. This is inconceivable. God, no way. And so what Habakkuk decides he's going to do after God downloads this plan, Habakkuk decides as a prophet of God and a man of God, he's going to take his stand. He is going to now stand his ground as a watchman on the wall, and he is going to contend with God in prayer over this. And if he stands his ground well, maybe God will rethink his plan. Maybe God will see reason. Maybe God will do something else besides this. And so Habakkuk does this. And finally again, God responds to him. And God tells Habakkuk three things. Thing number one, Habakkuk, I am not going to change my plan. And you are going to have to trust me. You are going to have to trust that I know what I'm doing, that my ways are perfect, as Isaiah would say, that my ways are higher than yours. You will have to trust I'm not changing the plan. Number two, God tells him, I will use Babylon to deal with my people. And when I'm done using Babylon to deal with my people, I am going to ruin Babylon for their violent arrogance. And then thing number three, Habakkuk, by using Babylon to punish my children for a season, I am going to accomplish the very thing you've been praying about for all this time. My children are going to be home, and my children will return to their God. And that is a snapshot of the first two chapters. And, and i got to admit, okay, as, as I hear myself tell you what chapter 1 and 2 of Habakkuk are all about, this prayer, it sounds a, a bit sobering, doesn't it? I mean, it? It's a little bleak so far. But then we get to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is where something wonderful, something marvelous, and something unexpected happens inside of Habakkuk. So as Habakkuk's praying for the nation, it's as if suddenly he is the very first fruit of what's going to happen to everything. A wonderful change happens in this man. And the way this happens is pretty much the way it always happens when God's children hit rock bottom. So Habakkuk is not about to do this, okay? Habakkuk is not going to have this wake-up moment 
And then his next step is just to suddenly get real busy with church activity and renew his church attendance. That's not what happens. Instead, here, after all of this whining, all of this complaining, all of this contending, Habakkuk finally gets still. And as he gets still, he takes a long, hard look at God. And all of that misery and all of that angst, it just shrinks right up in the presence of God. And what rises up within Habakkuk is hope and wonder and confidence in his God. You ready for Habakkuk 3, chapter 2? Here we go. Lord, I've heard of your fame. And now I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known again. Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. So he starts off with a new declaration, a new prayer. All this hope is bubbling out. And then what happens, it's so beautiful in the back of it, is from, chapter, from verse 3 to verse 15, all Habakkuk can do as he looks back at God is celebrate victory after victory after victory after victory after victory that God has brought in the life of his people. And as he does this, that, that, that spark of hope, that spark of wonder, it turns into burning confidence and how great and glorious and amazing his God is. In, in other words, it turns into a sunrise of just wonder and majesty and glory and hope all over again. Which leads us now to Habakkuk 3, verses 16 through 19. Hear these verses. Habakkuk says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay or ruin crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights, or as some of your translations say, says, He makes me go on high places. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, the glory and the wonder of your word and your activity in human history. God, they are astounding. Father, I thank you that you are the God of redemption. You are the God of our salvation. And Father, we just, as we look back today, we acknowledge that everything you have done has been just right and accomplished every purpose. So Lord, accomplish your purposes as we put ourselves under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's what Habakkuk has done. In, in these last four verses, in, in verse 16, um, he, he does something I think is quite interesting. Habakkuk does not go to religious fantasy land. 
Um, I don't know if, if you've ever done this yourself or you've ever talked to another Christian. Life has fallen apart. And, you know, kind of snap it to a fantasy. Oh, everything's wonderful. Everything's amazing. Just kind of a pie in the sky. Uh, Habakkuk does not do this. And I find it intriguing that a man of God starts with reality. He talks about the truth of his situation. And what is the truth of the situation right here in Judah's history? It is, a, it is a very, very scary time in the life of his people with Babylon on the march. Habakkuk says, look, th this is enough to make my heart skip. It it's enough to make my bones rattle. It's enough to make my knees knock. And what he's saying is what we learned last week, that there are times, even in the lives of God's children, when storms come down. Storms come down. And here... In the life of Judah at this period in history. Folks, you know what this is? This is a spiritual category five hurricane. That is exactly what's coming in Judah. I mean, I mean, look at what he says he is talking about here. He's looking at potentially the total annihilation of God's people. This is invasion of Babylon with what they have done and the, the, the ease and the precision which, with, with which they have just wiped people out. Man, if they come through and their plan goes forward, Judah will be a wasteland. And so Habakkuk looks at the storm and he, he, he says what he sees. Look, I see a famine wiping out our produce. I, I, I see our, our cattle, our livestock. Even our furry sheep just being decimated, destroyed. But it's at this moment that that miraculous hope and trust in God returns. Despite that coming storm, he says in verse 17, despite the calamity coming our way that's on our doorstep, I will wait patiently on the Lord. I'm going to rejoice and I, I'm going to be joyful in God, my Savior. Now, as you hear that, I know there's a temptation to turn to your pew pal, you know, the person next to you in the pew, and say, you know, poor Habakkuk, this brother has lost it. Okay? He is either crazy, he must be delusional. How in the world does anybody say this in light of that? But we have to stop and remember what Habakkuk has just been doing in verses 3 through 15. He has been recounting the wonders of God in his life. He has been looking back at God. And what has Habakkuk seen? Okay, I, I know today is scary. I know it's crazy for Habakkuk. But when he looks back at history, what he sees is that God has always kept his promises. That there's never a time in history, and some scary moments before this, I would submit that there have been a few scary times in Israel's past. There have been times of gigantic enemies, you know? I mean, one in particular on their back, a sea in front of them got up. There have been moments this scarier, scarier before. But what has God done in the past? He has kept his promises. There has never been a time in Israel's past, Judah's past, when God hasn't rescued his people. And, and when it comes to the battles, uh, what, what's the record? You know, I know some of y'all watched the MMA fight last night. We had records pop up, you know, 23 and 3. What's God's record in battle? It's undefeated. God is absolutely undefeated. I, I don't know how many there are in the win column, but there's a zero in the loss column. God has never lost one yet. So Habakkuk looks back and he sees that. And he realizes 
God's track record of his goodness and his love and his mercy is flawless. It's absolutely perfect. And so, so, so now he kind of shifts from not only being in awe of God's beauty and wonder and power in the past, suddenly that catches up with him and he understands today in a whole new light. And he realizes when it comes to Israel, when it comes to Judah, when it comes to the church, God's people, God's got a glorious destination. God's got a future and a hope for his people. There is no question in Habakkuk's mind that God will be just as good and loving in the present and the future as he was in the past. God will deliver them tomorrow just like he delivered them yesterday. And so what's happening to Habakkuk, and you can feel it, is, is Habakkuk is right in the middle of this journey. And at this point of the story, you know, of, of the prayer, Habakkuk has made this journey from being all disappointed in God. Where are you? What are you doing? Woe is us and me and him and her. He goes from that to just being incredibly confident in God. Just excited about, about who God is. He, really, he, he just goes full of faith. From dead empty to absolutely overflowing with faith. And so, and so now, Habakkuk can not only kind of sense God's future for his people, Habakkuk can see God's future for his people. And he tastes it personally for himself. So this is kind of a prophetic moment. The prophet catches it, and it happens to the prophet before it happens to the people. So we get to verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 19. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread upon the heights. So as Habakkuk gets still, and, and he patiently waits on the Lord, God fills him with strength. Does that sound like any passage of scripture you might have ever heard before, or perhaps quoted a half a million times? Does that sound at all like Isaiah 40, verse 31? What does it say? That those who wait, wait patiently on the Lord, hope in the Lord, those who do this will renew their strength. And they'll do what? Well, they'll sink down. No, no, they'll soar. What? They will rise up on the wings of eagles. They will run and, and not be faint. If you've ever been a marathon runner like me, it's an incredible feeling. They'll, they, they will walk and not be faint. Grow weary, walk and, uh, walk and not be faint. In other words... As the back of waits on the Lord in prayer, God empowers the man and God exalts the man. And, and I love this imagery. It makes it nimble like a deer. You know, I haven't studied deer, but you know, they, 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 they're pretty graceful. They're pretty nimble, but I know they can go way up high if they have to. So now, after waiting in God with God in prayer being strengthened, Habakkuk can really go up with God. He can go way up with God in prayer. But he can also go out for God, anywhere God would have him go. And so when you stop and you look at this, all of this is just incredible. I mean, take a back up, look at the transformation in his life. Look at the perspective shift. Look at his heart just blow up, you know, and not in a bad way, but in a good way. You know, just all that stuff blow apart and fill back up. It's incredible. And I would say even looking back at, at the people of Judah, what God is doing is a pretty amazing thing as well. I would say this plan that God has that kind of rattled Habakkuk in the beginning, this is the master plan of a very amazing God. For God to use Babylon, the storm of Babylon, 
to correct his children's course, to cleanse their lives and renew their faith, to wake his children up and turn them back to him. And as soon as God is using Babylon, done using Babylon for this, well, God will just go ahead and, and wipe Babylon out for, for, uh, for their wickedness. You know, we could ask, I think we could stop here, as many have, as Habakkuk did, as perhaps you've done, as you've read this or heard this before. You know, yeah, yeah I see it's, it's a pretty incredible plan, but couldn't God have done this in some other way? You know, couldn't God have used a, a, a less combative way, a less inconvenient, you know, inconvenient way? I mean, gosh, God, you know, I mean, to, to use battle, couldn't God have done it? And the answer to that question is a resounding absolutely. God could have accomplished this purpose in his children's lives in about a thousand different other ways. But the storms of life always bring us back to repentance, don't they? The storms of life always turn us back to God. You know, nothing drops Steve Keller to his knees in prayer like a storm does. No, nothing else does. Nothing gets me out of the boat going on the water to Jesus onto something for real and awesome and amazing and spiritually legit like a storm. See, the truth is for, for, for human beings, without an enemy on the doorstep, without an enemy on the doorstep, typically the people of God just keep on kind of keeping on with whatever they're doing. We stay comfortable. We stay selfish. You know, we, we just have this way of staying in our sins. And so what does God do with storms? He uses storms to wake us up and to call us back to Him. In other words, what I'm telling you is God works out our salvation best in the hard times. He, he, folks, He just does. He calls us back up with Him in prayer, higher, deep, higher up, deeper in. And uh, as a church, this whole idea of, of deeper in and higher up, it's kind of exactly where we are going as a church right now. Um, for KPC, and I won't go into detail because most of you have lived this, so you certainly don't need me to recount this, but for KPC, we have been in a bit of a stormy season, haven't we? Yep. Okay, yeah, okay, it's three yeses, all right. But three of us agree, we've been in a stormy season. Now, I've only been here five and a half years, so I would put the length of our stormy season at about 10 years. I think I might get some arguments from the crowd and say, oh, it's been a little bit longer than that. But we've had at least a decade of kind of harder times as a church. And first of all, let me tell you this. If you have been in a church for more than 20 years, some storms are going to come. Okay? So it's not like KPC is the only church on the planet to ever have some hard times. Hard times come to churches for lots of reasons. Sometimes, you know, no reason at all, sometimes for very, very good reason. I want to tell you two truths about the storm of KPC. Number one, the stormy season that we have been through as a church is not God's fault. The storm in Habakkuk was not God's fault, just like it wasn't there, right? I mean, the people of God in Habakkuk's time opened the door for the storm to come in. They begged for it. Folks, in, 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 in our storm is not God's fault. So what is KPC's stormy season attributed to? Well, in large part, I'll just say this and leave it here. Our stormy season, in large part, is, is a result of excessive pride that kind of grew up in the church. And that happens from time to time in churches. And what happens when, when, when you kind of swell up with pride, pride is about one thing. Uh, it, it's about you. 
Uh, if, if I'm being prideful, pride is all about me. What happens when you enter into pride? Life becomes all about you. In KPC, in many ways, we had a long season of turning inward, you know, a long season of kind of being very much about ourselves, not exclusively, but a lot about ourselves. And the bottom line is, that's not why the Church of Jesus Christ is on planet Earth, to take care of itself. So, number one, the storm is not God's fault. Number two, the stormy season that we have been in, absolutely, 100%, does not mean the end of KPC. Now, here is why. Simple. Because this is God's church, and God has a hope and a future for His church. It's just true. And if you want to know what, what the, the future is rooted in, it's rooted in His goodness. It's rooted in His plan. It, 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 it's rooted in His past goodness and destiny for us. And so the last decade, I believe, for KPC has been about God pruning us, God refining us, God turning back to Him. And I invite you, if you struggle with this, and you know, I think the pastor's a, a, a little off here, consider where we are. Talk to your neighbor about where, where we've been recently. You'll see that it's a storm. But also do this. Stop with me and look back at God's history with KPC. Stop and look at the activity of God in historical life at KPC. And when you do, all you're going to see is goodness all over the place. The pages of KPC's history drip with the goodness of God. I and mean, what you're going to see, you're going to be like Habakkuk. Marvelous deeds, marvelous deeds, marvelous deeds. You, just, you can't help it when you look at how good God has been. And then stop and look at God's activity in the present with KPC. And what are you going to see? You are going to see goodness all around you. You might say, well, give me a piece of goodness for today. I'll give you one. One is that we're still here. You know, really, churches that go through the kind of stuff that we've gone through usually aren't here to go on and do anything else. We are. Look, God has just faithfully sustained this church. But not only that, he gave us a burning vision in, in, in the midst of our stormy season. And so what is it time for KPC to do? Well, I'm a, I have a suggestion for you that's a really good that I do since I'm preaching that. I've got a suggestion for the whole church. I suggest that we join Habakkuk. Now, how can we join Habakkuk? We can join Habakkuk in two words, okay? He makes a two-word declaration, and these are little words. Two words in verses 16 and verses 18, and y'all, these two words... These are two of the best words in the English language when you put them together, and especially when you're talking about spiritual things, and the two words are, I will. We join Habakkuk in his I will. Habakkuk's I will is this. He says, I will wait, I will rejoice, and I will be joyful in the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you what Habakkuk is talking about. Okay, if I say, what's he talking about? We could say worship. But he's actually specifically talking about something else. Habakkuk is talking about prayer. One of the core values of this church, and we've been kind of about it, but I'm going to be honest with you. As the leader, we have not been enough about this. We have not been enough about prayer lately in, in these days. So folks, it is time to return to prayer as a church. It really is. Listen. As a leadership, 
And as session, we are calling our church back to a season of prayer that never ends, okay? So let's just erase season because it's going to go on forever. We would just call ourselves back to prayer, to be like Habakkuk, to seek the Lord, to pour out the Lord, to wait patiently before the Lord, to remember the Lord, to just joyfully, you know, I, I, if, if I had water, I'd just dive off the stage into prayer, you know, just dive back into it. Last week I told you this. I said, we're going to make some opportunities as a leadership. Um, but it's up to you to get out of the boat. So let me talk to you for just a minute about prayear I'm going to hear some prayer opportunities that we need to step into as a body. Here's some real practical ways that you can get involved in the ministry of prayer. Number one, every Sunday morning at nine o'clock, we pray in the chapel. Okay, we have people praying in the chapel. What they're praying for is for the service. They're praying for all of you. They're praying for God's will to be done. They're praying for us to turn into lightning rods in worship. Man, they're just praying that the church would just, you know, that nine o'clock in the chapel. Now, if you're thinking about this, you're going, hey, the chapel's really small. What would happen if we all went to the chapel? I tell you what happened, we found a bigger room. Just come on to the chapel. And I know some of you have children, you're forgiven, and, and I mean, I'm one of them. But, you know, if, if you got the time, come to the chapel at 9 o'clock. It makes a difference. Here's another one. Every Tuesday night, there's a thing called discovery prayer. Now, here's discovery prayer. It is literally waiting on the Lord. Yes. Hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying, and then just speaking that out to the church. I know for some of y'all, it's like, oh, that's kind of different than what I'm used to. Good. Different is good. Come out to Discovery Prayer, 7 o'clock, again in the chapel. Again, love to find a bigger room for that, but come out for it. Both of those are led by uh, Handsome Jonathan Zook, who started off the service. Um, here's another thing. The EPC is calling all of us to pray over Andrew Brunson. This week, his trial is October the, the, the 12th. The entire denomination is praying for his release. This week, Monday, uh, today through Thursday, the EPC is, is calling us all to five days of fasting and prayer. Let's join in. Let, let, let's be a part of this. And then the last thing we're going to do here, well, not the last thing, but the last thing in the first wave is we're going to restart some of our prayer nights. Um, we had just time, nights of worship and prayer. We're just going to come out. Uh, Jonathan Tyler have led some of those. We've had a bunch of young people come. Um, a, a glorious time of prayer and worship. Come out. Let's start praying. Let's get going on this thing, okay? And listen, so our, our I will begins with prayer. And that, that means just going up to God. Because that's where we get a new perspective on God. That's where we get a new perspective on ourselves. Prayer is where we get strengthened. We get the mind of God. We remember what we are all about. And something else that we are launching right now, Harrison alluded to it, and, and I'll uh, discipline you for that later, Harrison, for giving away my thunder. But the, the second thing that we are launching in, into right now is outreach. Um, it is time for outreach to launch in KBC. I'm talking about right now. Um, so, so we're talking about, just to be clear on outreach, going out for God into our world. And so what I'm going to do is for the next four Sundays, I'm going to bring you four distinctly different outreach opportunities. Um, two of these are in the past. You've heard of them. Two of them are brand new, and chances are you haven't heard much or anything about them. So outreach number one, I'll highlight this one today, is something you've heard about. It's something that is kind of missional, but it's also an outreach of the church. Outreach number one is Ghana. 
And I'm going to give you a bunch of ways that you can join in right now. You can be a part of the Outreach to Ghana. Number one, we already go there every year. We've gone there as much as twice a year. We could go there as much as three times a year. Folks in Ghana, they need everything. Training, education, construction, worship. We did some worship this last time. They need medical clinics. Folks, ask God. Go home and ask God when you're supposed to go uh, to Ghana with us. I didn't say if. Ask God when you're supposed to go to Ghana with us if you can. That's outreach number one. Number two, we run the GOAT Project. The GOAT Project is changing the lives of Ghanaian children for the cause of Jesus Christ. I could tell you about it, but in 70 seconds, I can show you what it's all about. Run that again, please. Now, here's, here's what's really funny about this. Last week after the service, I, I kind of had this plan blow up in my mind um, about doing this in, in the future. And I thought, Lord, should I really start with Ghana first? So as so I'm praying about this, one of our elders, who, who uh, I'll keep his anonymity, Jim Gatlin, came up to me. And he said, uh, he, he said uh, Steve, this is, this is really wild. But somebody came up to me after the service this week. And they said that the Lord had put it on their heart during the service that God said, God had blessed me and God put it on my heart to buy 60 goats for Ghana. And, oh, get ready, the exciting part's coming. Um, not, not only buy 60 goats, but that it was to be a matching project. So that for every goat, somebody or a group in the church bought for Ghana, he would buy one up to 120 total goats. We have never done anything of that scope before. But it's just like... The Lord said, hey, you want a sign? Here's your sign. So there it is. Third, the third part of the outreach is educating Ghanaian children. Um, they come from the villages into, into this hostel. And the hostel is a Christian community with the church. They come there, they live there, and then they can go out to area schools. The hostel is only at half capacity because they've run out of funds. And I, I, I asked our contact, I said, Avakari, how much would it cost? How much does it cost to take care of a kid every year in this hostel thing? It's probably about 10 grand. He goes, $450 a year for each student. It only costs $450 to take a child out of the village, put him in a hostel, and, and, and they get a Christian education. I believe right now God is tugging on some of your hearts to say, hey, I need to do that. I, I, I want to do that. The fourth opportunity for Outreach in Ghana is, uh, is pretty glorious and it's very ambitious. Um, I want to show you the picture of the kitchen that they eat in. Um, that, that's the kitchen where they feed all the children that come in and all the adults. Right now it's about 40 total. Um, but that's their kitchen. Now, if that impressed you, let me show you their dining hall. Uh, here's where they eat. Not in the building, in the field behind them. Um, when we were there two weeks ago, uh, we dedicated the well, and they pulled out some shovels, and y'all, by faith, they broke ground for a kitchen and a dining hall. They, they've got nothing to work with. They just, in faith, they just, so we feel like the Spirit's calling us to do this. Now, I am not suggesting that KPC build them a kitchen and a dining hall from the ground up, but I'm still going to give you some numbers, okay? A commercial kitchen that would feed up to 75 to 100 kids, um, you can guess what that would be in the U.S. costs $40,000 in Ghana. A dining hall that would feed all these kids and the workers is $53,000. For $93,000, they can have a kitchen and a dining hall for all these people. So what I say is, why not jump in there as a church and help them do it? You know, I'll throw a thermometer up on the, the board if you want. We can fill it up. But there's opportunity. It's the point for outreach. 
We can also do something else that's very important in Ghana, which is join them in prayer. Because I'll tell you this, if you've been on a team, you've been anywhere close to Ghana, you know this. They are taking over northern Ghana with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're taking it over. And I want to be a part of it, you know? The best way to come alive is get next to somebody else who's alive and rub shoulders with them, you know? So, so I, I just suggest we jump in there. And then here's what I'll do, okay, after that. For the next three Sundays, I'm going to bring you three other outreach opportunities that are much closer to home, okay? Like right outside the doorstep. One of them you are very familiar with, and the other two are brand new, and they're very, very exciting. So this is where we're going right now as a church, okay? We are going to first, and I think it's very important that it's a first, we are first going to step into prayer as a congregation. We are gonna get still together and wait together and get strengthened together in prayer. And then we're going to go together for God. We're going to get out of the boat and walk on the water toward Jesus. And folks, what we're going to be walking to is uh, we're going to be walking into our future, which is all about bringing the glorious love and power of our God to our community. It is a glorious future. And it is a future uh, in which KBC is not just about itself. But we really are here for the purposes of God, and the new lives are here to show us. So, me on that. That's all I got, man. That was the last bullet. I felt it leave the chamber, my brother. Let me pray for us, and let's take communion together. God, we thank you. I thank you for fresh bread together today. I thank you, Lord, for just sharing your heart with me and, and with us. And Father, we thank you. Lord, we do as we look back at KPC. We celebrate. God, even in the hard times, we celebrate your goodness. Lord, we thank you that, that, Lord, you have just established and rooted us so deeply in the will of God. Father, you, you have given us a charismatic, spirit-filled DNA, and, and oh, Lord, we, want, we just want to enter fully into that. But Lord, you've also given us a mission. Lord, you've called us, first of all, to be a house of prayer. You've called us to be a people on the move for you. And God, we know we're not the only ones. Lots of churches struggle with prayer and outreach. But Lord, this is our story. And this is our journey. And so God, in the days ahead, may we be faithful. May we just be faithful. And I'll go ahead and be prophetic and thank you in advance for the new life that we're going to see spring up all around us and within us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.